today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. And Proverbs 31 lays out this glorious picture of the kind of wife you want to find, okay? The dad takes an entire chapter and says, look for someone like this. Because there is a natural way that the son will gravitate to a wife, right? In some ways. And the father's saying, no, 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 listen. This is a glorious part of your relationship, but it's not all of the relationships. Don't, don't cut it kind of apart from everything else here. And in that context, listen, the husband's role is to praise and encourage his wife. Hoping God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hoping God, he's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. As Pastor Ricky continues his series through the book of Proverbs, he'll be reminding us that although sexual attraction is important, there's much more to marriage than sex. We were created to glorify God and to be well-pleasing to Him first and foremost. In our culture, sex is everything. We see it in commercials. We glorify it in conversation. And although sex certainly is a gift from God, sometimes we tend to elevate it to be even more important than pleasing God. Now, here's Pastor Ricky with part two of his message, Wisdom and Sexuality. Even just in this life, the Father is saying there's sufficient reason to stay back don't taste the honey. Instead, he encourages his son toward the sweet water that God offers. This is what God offers. God offers what looks like death, but is life. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Ray Ortland comments this. He says, look what the Lord is not saying. He is not saying there's temptation out there. Well, here is your future. Endless frustration bottled up inside. Now, obviously we need self-control. And obviously some are called to singleness as I'll address in a minute. But for many that will marry, God's remedy for this thirst is surprisingly or not surprisingly to drink. God designed us to thirst because there is such a thing as water. He applies the metaphor to this area as well. And he wants, listen, he wants the image of the, the taste of bitterness to be in his son's tongue, but he also is cultivating a thirst in his son for the right thing. Now listen, uh, the ancient like, area of Israel looked a lot like El Paso, right? In a lot of places. Um, and imagine that you've got kind of a, a stretch of property by the mountain in El Paso. Uh, and, and your fate, you know, kind of your kept secret from everybody is that on your property in particular, there's this underground stream. And somehow it's been untainted by every, all the development that's gone around it. And some days when you're out working on the property, you think, oh man, you know what I could go for? I could go for some of the water from that stream. And so you walk up to the well, and as soon as you kind of take the covering off, the, the sweetness of the water hits you. And, and you draw the water up, and you put it in a glass, and you see it's clear and crystal and perfect, and you drink it. And there's that first moment where you think, oh, man, this is 
great. Like this is exactly what I need. You wipe the sweat off of your head and drink deeply. And here's the other thing about water in contrast to that bitter honey. Water has a restoring effect on your whole body, right? So it's not as though you drink the water and then 30 seconds later you feel terrible. Instead, you drink the water and you find that half hour later, you're stronger, you feel better, you're ready to go back out into the world. It strengthens you again and again. This is the picture that the father wants his son to have. And he contrasts this with water that is scattered in the street. In other words, if you take even this cool, refreshing water and cast it out into the street, it's going to be diluted and polluted. Instead, you're to guard it carefully. Now listen, what the, what the Bible is arguing for is not total freedom where you just take this water and scatter it across this dirty pavement in the town, but neither is it arguing for total restraint. He's not saying, okay, don't drink the water. Okay, listen, you can have a teaspoon of water every month, but that's it, and try not to enjoy it, okay? The father is saying, no, if you've been blessed, son, with this stream, drink deeply from it, guard it, protect it, treasure it. And freedom finds its form in this restraint. God is saying this, listen, you're gonna have to cut yourself off from some other things. But when you do, it's not like your tree's gonna be stunted. In, in fact, it's gonna grow far better than you can imagine. Now, let me just point this out real briefly. There is one critical thing when you hold this passage up to the rest of Proverbs that you have to understand that this part of this married couple's relationship is in context with everything else said about marriage, including Proverbs 31. And Proverbs 31 lays out this glorious picture of the kind of wife you want to find, okay? The dad takes an entire chapter and says, look for someone like this. Because there is a natural way that the son will gravitate to a wife, right? In some ways. And the father's saying, no, 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 listen. This is a glorious part of your relationship, but it's not all of the relationships. Don't don't cut it kind of apart from everything else here. And in that context, listen, the husband's role is to praise and encourage his wife, okay? So that, that kind of indicates along with the rest of scripture, this is not just like a, the sectioning off this part of your marriage relationship. This should be in context with everything else, with encouragement, with self-sacrifice, with love, but it should be a part of your beautiful marriage relationship. And so he lays out this picture in verses 18 through 20. It is frank. It is unfiltered. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. There's two things being emphasized here, both the quality of marital love and the quantity of marital love. These are from commentaries. I am not making this up in case anyone is getting mad at me. I'm just, as one pastor I know used to say, I'm just the mailman. Don't shoot the mailman. This is the mail. I'm going to read it. Um, The phrase, be intoxicated, means to wander recklessly. It means literally to be led astray. It means, listen, that moment where you've been waiting 
for hours driving to the beach because there's no beach close to El Paso, but maybe you do it. Maybe you drive the 10 hours to the beach. You are so ready. You park the car. You, you've got your swimsuit on. You see the waves crashing. And that moment where you go, yeah, and you run into the water and it hits you for the first time and you're just like, yes. That's what's pictured here. Means to be led astray, to allow your passion to take you far away from the cares of normal life. And in fact, Proverbs 5, and taken in context with Song of Solomon, it means that it wants us to stoke this fire hotter and hotter and hotter. This should not be a, a dim, wimpy fire. This should be a blazing fire. There's quality in view, but also quantity because it says at all times. This is not saying, listen, you can get passionate occasionally, but let's not, let's not go overboard Okay, that would be like saying, son, uh, that Camaro in your driveway, you need to stop just polishing the Camaro. You need to stop admiring the Camaro. And at some point, son, you got to take that Camaro out for a drive. And you should do that a lot. Okay, you've got a Camaro, drive the Camaro. That's, that's, that's what the father is saying here. Again, just the mailman. So the contrast then is really explicit. Why would you embrace the forbidden and be led astray into death when you could embrace the stream that God has provided and be led away into life? Why would you do it? Not only does it lead to death, but son, you, you, God is going to provide you with a stream and I want you to pursue it. Now, listen, just a side note to the married couples here, but I think there should be an inclination toward this in our marriages. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 says that the husband and wife, both in marriage, each give control of their bodies over to their spouse, that it, they're mutually inclined, that out of love, they want to give of themselves to their spouse. And I've heard a pastor say that often this area of your marriage serves as a thermometer for the rest of your marriage. There are seasons of sickness, seasons of exception, seasons of difficulty where this this can't be maybe what it was that first year you were married, but it should be healthy. And if it's not healthy, sometimes it allows us to go, man, maybe something's off. Maybe another area is off. Maybe I'm not affirming and speaking words of love to my wife from Proverbs, like Proverbs 31 encourages me to do. Maybe I'm not laying down my life for her. What, what's going on? And you have a conversation about it. But at the risk of being overprescriptive, the Bible says that this, it kind of models that this should be a priority. Here's an extreme case. Um, Ray Ortland says that back in the days of the Puritan, actually, this is Leland Riken, uh, back in the days of the Puritans, they were trying to be biblical. Um, when a New England wife complained to her pastor and then to the whole congregation that her husband was neglecting her. Did that, did that make it clear enough? Okay. Um, the church... <laughs> removed him as a member. So the Puritans, far from the view that we normally have of them as being this puritanical, nobody do anything ever, uh, they, they saw this as a priority. Now listen, maybe that wasn't the best way to handle it, but they were trying to, to apply this, right? And I think there should be something in our hearts that's like, okay, let's try to apply it. Let's figure this out. Let's pursue this priority. And if you think, man, this is, I, I don't know about this. Is this really biblical? There's a book you should read by the same guy, Song of Solomon. Um, maybe don't read it with your kids. Save that for later. Okay. Actually, never mind. I'm going to move on. Um, so, this is 
This is what the father is laying out, okay? These two contrasting pictures. Being led astray by passion that leads to death and being led astray by passion that God has provided that leads to life. Now, though, what about singleness? And listen, man, if you're single and you've been hanging in through this, I really want to say I appreciate you. And remember this, that the son that would be hearing this would likely not be married yet. It would probably be in his future. Even today in our world where people get married later in life, often, uh, the, the majority of folks often do end up married at some point. So, so the father's laying this out for his son. He's painting this picture. But I think in order for us to understand and understand how to apply this passage, I want you to hear as a single person three things, okay? Can you hold on to that? Three things. First one. Sex is not life, Jesus is. Um, Remember the verse we talked about last week that talks about Jesus, and, and in Jesus we find streams of living water. This is true and eternal water that comes from knowing Christ and being found in him. And there are substreams that God provides, sunsets, children, marriage. But the source is God himself. It's important to back up and remember that Paul will tell us later that in eternity, in heaven, there will be no marriage or, or being given in marriage. And yet, heaven will contain the truest eternal joys we could ever experience. This is the truth. You may not experience Proverbs 5 in this life. But you will surely, if you are in Christ, experience truer and deeper and eternal joys that all of this joy in Proverbs 5 was meant to be a glimmer and shadow of. You will not miss out on the, even if the shadow doesn't fall on you in this life, you will see the sun. No one will get to eternity who has followed God's commands in the area of sexuality and think it wasn't worth it. Jesus is life. Second, sex can make a good relationship glorious, but it cannot save a bad relationship. Um, The thing I love about Proverbs is that this, again, this full picture of marriage in Proverbs 21, nine, among other Proverbs says this, it's better to live on the corner of a rooftop than to live with a quarreling wife. Meaning this, a lot of times we'll think, man, I need to have this. I, I, I don't really care who it is. I don't care if I, I, if, I, if I have to kind of put aside waiting for God to provide somebody, I'm gonna pursue this now. Because if I don't, I'm gonna die. And the father's honest, he says, listen, The wife in Proverbs 21.9, maybe she was a girl everyone was checking out. Maybe that first week was great, but the next 30, 40 years wasn't. Okay, So, so just remember that. When used well in context of marriage, this can make the relationship flourish and glorious, but it can't save a bad relationship. And third, A life without marital sex is not a wasted life, but a life with sinful sex often is. It's important to remember that Jesus never married. He never experienced this, and he was totally human. He felt his biology. Friend, you need to hear this. This area of your life, contrary to what the world says, is not your identity. This is not 
your identity. Your identity is found in Christ. And you will never waste your life following Jesus. But you can waste your life wandering into illicit pleasure that only leads to death. So that's what I have to say. Single folks, and I just want to wrap this up now. Um, The end of this passage gives us a choice. A choice. Verse 21 says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Verses 22 and 23 uh, restate the themes that sin ensnares, that, that death comes with this sin. But this last element in verse 21 is critical. God sees. Bruce Waltke, a commentator on this passage, says this, behind all the utilitarian arguments or practical arguments, there is ultimately a religious reason that the omniscient Lord upholds a moral order wherein sin brings its own punishment with it, where a person reaps what he sows. This is the truth. Maybe if the great lie is you can sin and not suffer, the second great lie is you can sin and no one will know. Nothing we do is hidden from God. Nothing. No moment that's private on your smartphone or computer or in a hotel room that your wife will never know about or husband will never know about, none of that will stay hidden in eternity, friends. This phrase, before the eyes of the Lord, connotes that it is not difficult for the Lord to see. It's not as though the Lord's like kind of working his way through the universe, trying to keep track of everybody. And, and, you know, maybe you'll have a few minutes to yourself where maybe nobody, you know, his glance won't go over there. Everything is right in front of him. As clearly as I'm in front of you, the seat in front of you is in front of you, your ways are before the Lord. This is one of the, one of the hard truths we don't often like to think about, but it is nevertheless true. And it reinforces this message that, listen, listen, in this life and in eternity, put away bitter honey. Drink from your own well as God has designed. Now, I want to end, though, in a particular way uh, before we take communion because we could just leave it here. We could just drop it here and at the end of the message be, um, so, come on, people, have some self-control. Don't go to hell. End of sermon. But friends, that's not where the Bible ever leaves us. Um, One of the the most surprising and probably shouldn't be surprising statistics that I've read in recent years is that um, 80% of people, I'm sorry, 88% of people who get married um, have been sexually active in one way or another before marriage. Uh, And you know what the percentage for evangelicals is? Uh, It's 80%. It's an 8% difference. It's four out of five. And... Listen, I don't share that statistic to, uh, to condemn you. Um, I'm going to share some hope with you. But this is the reality of the world we live in. That we, this is the reality of how pervasive this is for us. One of the Bible's chief metaphors for describing sin is spiritual adultery. Adultery is hard. <laughs> See, adult, sometimes we, we think, okay, we break a law, we get a speeding ticket. It's not a big deal to God. God says sin is spiritual adultery. It's taking somebody who loves you with all your heart, that you have promised to be true to, and then hurting them in the deepest way possible. That is what sin does to the Lord. 
And yet, one of the worst things we Christians can do is take this area of sexuality and act like all of us, you know, we're the unstained, those are the stained. The good people come to church and don't do that stuff. The bad people should stay out. Listen, friend, nobody will get to heaven by being a heterosexual virgin. No one. Matt Chandler uh, shares this story. He's a pastor out in the Dallas area of, of how he started a friendship in college, uh, after college with a, a, uh, a 26-year-old single mom who was in his class because she was trying to get back to school, get her life together. And the church kind of came around her and was trying to help her. And they were counseling her because she was involved in like an extramarital affair. And so he finally figures out how to bring her to an evangelistic rally. And uh, the topic, um, as he realized with horror, was sexuality. And so this guy gets up, um, and at the beginning of his message, he takes this rose, and he, he says, isn't this rose beautiful? Look at its red petals. Feel it. Isn't it sweet? I want, you to, I want everyone to taste, you know, to smell the rose. I want everyone to feel this. Um, and then he kept preaching, and the point of his message was essentially, essentially, dirty people are gross, and you don't want syphilis, do you? That was his message, essentially. And the big flourish at the end of his message was he asked for the rose back. And of course, the rose is all half bent, half broken. The petals were all falling off. And he, he with a flourish, takes the rose, holds it up, and says this. Do you see this? After it's been handled by everybody, who would want this? And Matt Chandler said it took everything, every ounce of self-restraint he had not to get up and stand up in the middle of the meeting and shout this. Jesus wants the rose. That's the point of the gospel. Friends, the gospel message is not that there are clean people who God loves and filthy people who sleep around and the clean ones get to heaven. The gospel message is that we are all filthy people who have a chance to be made clean by Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither will the sexually immoral. And then he says this, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. He doesn't point them to, listen, you don't want syphilis, and so stop doing that and get to heaven. He says, look, such were all of us, but in a moment, because of what Jesus has done, When we believed in him, we could be washed of our shame. We could be made to look more and more like Jesus. And when we stand in God's presence, we don't bring our filthy record. We bring Jesus' clean record. And the Father rejoices over us. is acquiring facts and information about a given subject. Wisdom is the proper application of facts and information. You know, it's one thing to know about something. It's a whole other thing to be able to properly utilize that thing. We all want wisdom. Wisdom is this wonderful gift that allows us to carefully and safely navigate through this life. In this eight-part series entitled Wisdom for Life, 
Pastor Ricky will explore what the book of Proverbs has to say about wisdom. For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Again, that email address is radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, our phone number is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Better News Radio Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook, again, at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio.